Hello, relatable listeners. Happy Monday. I hope that everyone had a wonderful Easter weekend. Maybe you were with your family. I was in Georgia with my husband's family where we have 11. I think I have to count this correctly in my head because we have a new addition. We have 11 nieces and nephews. My husband has two sisters that are older than him, six and eight years older than him. And I have two brothers that are older than me. And so we are the last ones to be uh, adding to the grandchild situation. So they're already done on his side, 11 grandkids, And on my parents' side, there's two. And so we're adding the first girl on my parents' side. There's lots of girls on my husband's side. And so once we are done having children, it will be madness at holidays. It's already kind of madness in in the best way possible. I mean that in the most wonderful way possible. But it's already kind of madness with all of the children running around. Once we add our like three or four, however many we have, it's going to be, it's going to be chaos. But these are the fun times. I didn't really have a ton of cousins my age when I was growing up and both my brothers were so much older than me. And so I really, I always wished that I had that. And so I hope that our kids, that they have siblings that are close in age and that they have cousins that are kind of close in age. They're going to be younger than most of their cousins, but that they have people to play with and hang out with and that they actually look forward to the holidays because I think that's really fun. And so we kind of got a little taste of that, even though, of course, our child isn't here yet. We got another taste of that this weekend. Got to meet uh, my nephew for the first time. So that's exciting. Had my first baby shower. So all of that is great. And of course, as you guys know, I am really excited that it is now warm outside. I've said it before. I will say it again. I would rather be drenched in sweat as soon as I step outside at 8 a.m. and be able to fry an egg on the sidewalk than have to wear a sweater. I hate the cold. I would rather it be sweltering hot, not even be able to get in the pool because it feels like bath water than what it is in the winter. I do not like the cold weather. I know I'm probably going to be going back on this in a couple of weeks when it's absolutely unbearable. Like when you have a heat rash, as soon as you step out the door, but I'm really excited. And it's also crazy. I know I'm kind of ranting at the beginning of this. We're going to talk about more substantive stuff. I'll just go ahead and tell you, we're going to talk about a little bit about the resurrection. And then I might answer some of your, uh, theological questions. Although the ones that you guys hit me, I'm like, shoot, I need to, I really need to study those. I can't just answer those off the bat. So you guys have really good complex questions. Then I'm going to tell you a thing I don't get, which is really just, if you've never heard it before, it's just kind of like a pet peeve. So we're going to talk about substantive stuff, but right now I'm just kind of uh, ranting about what's on my mind. What was I even talking about? I was talking about the weather. Oh yeah, that it's the end of April, which is crazy because I always told myself, okay, April is the time that I'm going to start getting things together for my child. We're going to start making her nursery. We're going to get everything that we need to get. So we are fully prepared by May 1st. Well, I just want to take a second to laugh at myself for thinking that I was going to be so proactive. See, this is what the life of a procrastinator is. You say that you are going to do all of this stuff because you go to bed every Sunday night and you think, okay, this is the week. This is the week that I'm really going to get it together and that I'm not going to wait until the last minute to do something. And then you find yourself like I do every week writing a chapter of your book at 2 a.m. rather than doing it in the afternoon when you were supposed to do it. And you find yourself at the end of April not having really done anything for your child that's about to be here. Now, 
We're not in like a totally disastrous situation. We've got some stuff. We're working on it. We just still have to paint her nursery before we can actually put anything together. And so that's what we're going to do for these last couple of months. As you guys know, I'm working on a book um, that's going to come out in 2020. We don't know the exact date yet, and I don't want to spoil what exactly it's about, but it is very much a mix of theology and culture and how we can combat some of the common lies that we're seeing from this glorified narcissism that is constantly being fed to us by um, by influencers, uh, influencers on social media, as well as pastors from the pulpits. And so you can be expectant of that, but that's also what I'm working on. So that's kind of detracting from me getting ready for our first child to be here. So I do, I have a lot going on right now, but I love it. It's a, I'm not complaining. It's a really good and fun time of life. My husband and I are enjoying um, spending these last couple months together when we actually can get a little bit of sleep from what I've heard from many, many moms that I know is that these are probably like the last normal nights of sleep that I may ever have in my life. If you guys who are moms are anything like my mom, I still don't think she gets a normal night's sleep. All of her children are grown, but I still think that she probably wakes up in the middle of the night thinking, are my kids okay? Are they making the right choices? And she worries about, you know, something about my career. She worries about something about my brother, whatever it is. You're constantly thinking about your kids for the rest of your life. And that's kind of crazy to think about. That's actually like the second you get pregnant, second you pee on a stick and you see, oh my gosh, that says pregnant. Your mind and your life is totally consumed with something that you didn't even realize existed five seconds before and it never changes. That's crazy. Haven't even fully experienced that. Needless to say, I'm really excited about my child to be here. I'm so excited to meet her. Once you're kind of in these last weeks, I have about like, I don't know, seven to nine or no, I think it's uh, like eight to 10 weeks left about. Yeah. I'm a little over 30 weeks. And so yeah, about eight to 10 weeks, just depending. And I'm really excited to meet her. Once you get in this time, you're just like, okay, can I stop being pregnant? That would be great. I saw my grandmother the other day and I can say this because she doesn't listen to this podcast. I don't think she knows what a podcast is. She's sweet. I love her so much. She lived with us until I was 13. And so we are extremely close. She helps teach me how to read, to write, to be everything I am. She is an incredible, incredible woman. So I need to give that caveat before I say that uh, she, <laughs> I, I went to go see her the other day and she was like, Hey, pudgy. Hey, you're going to have a big baby. I was like, thank you so much. You know what? If you weren't my 82 year old grandmother, <laughs> I might be offended, but she didn't mean it that way. I always talk about the things that annoy me that people say when they are, when they're talking about a pregnant person that they would never say to a non-pregnant person. But I have realized you really got to give people the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time and that they are well-intentioned. My grandmother was well-intentioned. She was like, I think you're going to have a big baby. I was like, well, like I'm not, I don't think so. I mean, I might have a big baby, but I don't think my stomach is any indication. And the doctor measured my stomach right on track. Also, we got, uh, we had another sonogram the other day and she is in our daughter is in the 50th percentile so she is exactly average which is not surprising in the slightest because my husband is six feet i am almost five six i'm five five and three fourths we are average heights 
we are average weight. I well, not any, I'm not average weight right now, but pre-pregnancy and pre-Chick-fil-A, average weight, average everything. So it doesn't surprise me at all that our child is totally average size. I kind of hope she stays that way for when I give birth. I'm not trying to give birth to a 10-pound baby the way that uh, Jessica Simpson did, which is crazy. I mean, if I do, you know what? Philippians 4.13, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm just kidding. I'm not really decontextualizing that verse. But also, I am serious. So prayers, prayers for that. Prayers for the rest of my pregnancy and a good birth. And for all of you out there who are pregnant. And that's a lot of you actually, because you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that there are just a lot of conservatives that are having babies right now, which I think is great. I think world domination via procreation is the way to go. It is literally making love, not war. So if that's how we want to do it, if that's how we want to take over while the AOCs of the world are saying that it's irresponsible to have children, I think that it's great. I think that we should do it. And I think that it will be uh, really good for the future of the country if we are the only ones having children. So keep it up, you guys. Um, if not, don't worry. There are lots of wonderful things that you can do to... Um, spread the values of conservatism. And that is being a hard worker, caring about your country, and not being afraid to stick up for the things that you know are true. Okay, that's not what we're talking about today at all. So I'm sorry that I got on that rant. I know a lot of you, actually only guys, I ever get this message, I only get these messages from guys saying, stop talking about the personal stuff in the beginning. Please just get to the podcast. But from girls, it's always like, will you please update us on your pregnancy and talk about your personal life? So I got to, I got to give it to everyone. I got to make everyone happy as much as, as much as I can, because I typically just go ahead and start, but you guys didn't get an ad today. So what you got instead was random stories and random rantings about my life. So now we're going to talk about something much more significant and much more important and much more eternal and much more long lasting. I know I repeated myself with synonyms a thousand times, but we are going to talk about in light of Easter, the resurrection just for a little bit and what it means. And then, uh, like I said, I'm going to get to uh, hopefully some of some of your questions. If we don't have time, I'm just going to tell you the thing I just don't get, which a lot of you guys like that segment as well. So uh, we talk a lot about Jesus's death. We talk a lot about his atoning sacrifice, and that's a wonderful thing to talk about. Um, in fact, I don't think it's talked about enough in certain circles. In this me-first, me-centered Christianity that we hear about, uh, really, we just hear about that Jesus came to be the friend of sinners. Jesus came to make you feel good about yourself. Jesus came to make you feel confident and to tell you that all of the dreams and all of the desires that you have are perfect and affirm you in all that you are. Of course, we who are on this podcast know that that is not what Jesus came to do. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the great I am. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He is the son of God. God made flesh the perfect sacrifice who bridged the gap between a sinful people and a perfect and holy God. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. The government will be placed upon his shoulders. He is coming back to establish the new heaven and the new earth. And one day uh, we will worship him forever. We will reign alongside him, as the Bible says. So that is who Jesus is. He is someone to worship. And yes, because of 
uh, the, the beauty of the personal nature of God. He has allowed us through his grace to enter in the proverbial holy of holies into his presence with boldness and access with confidence so that we can have a personal relationship with our God, with our creator. That's an amazing thing about God becoming flesh, becoming Jesus Christ and walking on this earth. The Bible says that we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, that he was tempted in some of the same ways that we were and all the same ways that we were, but was without sin. And so that is who Jesus is. He is God. He is not our gal pal. He is not our homeboy. He is not our boyfriend. He is God. He is someone to be worshiped. And yes, through his incredible grace and by the nature of which we do not deserve, we also get to have a personal relationship with him where we can talk freely and uh, ceaselessly to him. Of course, always out of deference uh, for his kingship and who he is as God and who we are as an undeserving people. So that's who Jesus is. And it's not that, um, it's, it's, it's not that caricature that you, that you hear so often from the self-help crowd that he's just kind of an accessory. He's just kind of along for the ride. That of course is blasphemy. If that's the God that you worship, then that's not Christianity. I think it's safe to say that you're not a Christian because Christians worship the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible. And if you are worshiping another God, then that means that you follow another faith. That means that you follow another religion. And that would mean that you're really missing out because the God of the Bible offers an incredible redemption and incredible sanctification in this life, incredible salvation in the next life. And so that's why it's so important to make sure that we are worshiping the Jesus uh, who is who he says he is. And the way that we know who he is, is through his word, which he has revealed to us um, in the Bible. And so we don't talk enough about his crucifixion and about who he really is, about what he really did for us on the cross, the brutality of the crucifixion. But I would say that we probably talk about his death, me included, more than we talk about his resurrection. Um, it, it's almost an easier picture to paint. And I think it's, we think it's easier for finite minds to understand that someone might be sacrificed, that someone would even sacrifice himself on our behalf that, okay, he physically died. He suffered a physical, brutal, violent death. But then the resurrection comes in and that's where you have this whole spiritual metaphysical component that I think sometimes we're afraid to talk about because we can't explain it. But uh, here is what 1 Corinthians 15 says, uh, Paul to the church in Corinth uh, about the resurrection. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
goes on to say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, our beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, I did not read the whole chapter to you, which reveals that Christ's resurrection is uh, also a reflection of the resurrection that we will have, that it means resurrection for us, that we will too be resurrected in an in, in, in an immortal body to live with Christ forever. That is our hope. That is what we are striving toward. Paul says that is what we are clinging to. Uh, We will not perish as John 3.16 says, but we will have everlasting life. And that is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is so important that God through Paul says that without it, without the resurrection, then we are a people to be pitied. So basically that means this is really embarrassing. If we are worshiping nothing more, no one more than a prophet who said he was God and then died, well, then what are we even doing here? There's a lot of people maybe who said that they were God and then died, didn't fulfill all of the prophecies, didn't do what Jesus did and didn't rise from the dead. But the reason why Friday is good news, the reason why uh, Jesus's crucifixion is good news is because of Sunday, because of his resurrection. Without Sunday, Friday isn't good news. Without the resurrection, the crucifixion is not good news. The resurrection is what affirms our hope. Without resurrection day, uh, Jesus is, he's just a man. He's just another person. But the resurrection is what affirms what we already know and what he already claimed, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. Sunday uh, is our assurance of eternal life. It's the promise of alleviation from our pain, our freedom from sorrow, and our hope of glory. It's our ultimate reconciliation to God. That's where we put our faith. Uh, this is what, the resurrection is what makes everything that you are going through small. Uh, as the Bible says, it makes everything that we are struggling with, that we are suffering right now, light and momentary in comparison to the glory that we will experience when we leave this earth. That is redemption. That is victory. Uh, Jesus defeated sin and death on our behalf that we may no longer be slaves to our sin and sufferers of death, endurers of eternal separation from him. Uh, Romans 10, 9 through 13. Actually, it's not 10, 9 through 13. I didn't do all four verses. But it says this, uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then, of course, my favorite passage, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus's resurrection is the defeat of death. It is the defeat of sin, and it means resurrection and hope and eternal life for us. Without resurrection, then none of this matters. We're not talking about anything. Our, our, our faith really isn't founded on anything. As Paul says, we are a people most to be pitied. So I just want you to remember that as you are going into this week. 
and you are thinking of everything that you have ahead of you, which I, I don't doubt is a lot. I don't know what all of you are going through. Some of you might be going through um, what I would call, even in my own life, more trivial things. Maybe you're going through something at work. Maybe you're going through something with your boyfriend. I'm not saying that these aren't important problems, but in in light relative to the other problems that people have, like pregnancy loss or infertility or losing a family member or being diagnosed with uh, a chronic illness or with a fatal illness. Um, these are these are more trivial problems, but no matter what your problems are on the spectrum of trivial to really hard, the resurrection is what gives us hope. That Jesus came to defeat all of these things and to give us the hope of glory that one day we won't have any sorrow, we won't have any suffering, we won't have any pain, but we will worship him in joy and gladness forever. I was talking to someone the other day about forever and what that looks like, because I think if we're honest as finite human beings who really can't grasp eternity, forever kind of scares us. And I think that especially if we have good lives, especially we're living in America, a free country, we live in a prosperous country, and if you're going through a pretty easy, happy time, it's hard for us to look forward to heaven. Uh, it's hard for us to imagine how something could be that much better. Sure, you think about all the inconveniences and some of the hardship that you go through in your life and you think, yeah, well, heaven's going to be without that. But then you start thinking about forever. You think about eternal life. You think about something that's everlasting, never ending. And I think a lot of us, because we have so many wonderful blessings and privileges, it's really hard for us to look forward to that. It's like, aren't we going to get bored? Like I can't even do one thing for more than five minutes. Like I have to be watching TV and on my phone at the same time. Like I have to be, uh, if I'm watching Netflix, I need my laptop at the same time. How am I just going to be able to worship God forever in total and complete satisfaction and contentment? Is that something that I really look forward to? But we have to remember that God in heaven is outside of time and space. And so as we experience time linearly, he is not experiencing time the way that we are. He created all of it. And so he exists outside of that. He is suspended in the eternal now. He's just as present a thousand years ago as he is today. And I don't think that when we are in heaven, we are going to have this stopwatch thinking, well, it's been 10,000 years Let's just keep going for 10,000 more and then, you know, keep going for eternity after that. I don't think that's going to be our mindset. I think that it's something beyond comprehension that we are in a constant state of joy. We are in a constant state of excitement. We are in a constant state of overwhelming gratitude to be there, that every moment feels new, that every moment feels like the last, that we don't have a sense of this has been five years or this has been 10 years or this has been a long time or this hasn't been that long of a time. I don't think that we'll have a sense of that. And I don't think that we can even comprehend it. In fact, the Bible says that we can't, that our finite minds can't understand it. Um, but what we can cling to and what we can hope to is that we will, because of the grace of God, get to experience that one day. I mean, think about what a wonderful father he has to be to redeem an undeserving and an unholy and a depraved and a wicked people, to redeem them to the point of giving them eternal life. And not because of anything they did, actually despite everything they did, but because he loves them. 
he sacrificed his only son that we would be able to experience that one day and that we would be able to tell other people about him. And then while we're on this earth, that we would be separated as holy, that we would be set apart and that we would enact his justice and his goodness and his just laws here on earth. And one day to spend forever with him. That's a really amazing, loving father. I don't know a better story than that. I don't know a better God than that. I don't know a better religion than that. Every other religion tells us what we have to do to get to God. What do you have to do to climb up the mountain? Christianity says God came down the mountain to you because you couldn't do anything. You were just laying there dead in your sins. And because he loved you while you were yet dead in your sins, he died for you. You didn't do anything to earn that. The Bible says it's a gift. Jesus endured his brutal death. He endured death on a cross, a more brutal death than any of us could ever imagine. And then he rose again three days later, fulfilling his own prophecy, fulfilling the prophecies of the scriptures. He was seen uh, by multiple eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses, and then he ascended to the Father. Um, that's an amazingly good story for us. That's amazingly good news for us that he was willing to do that on our behalf. He didn't have to. He could have destroyed us. I think that's another point to remember in being grateful for the resurrection is that if that was all Jesus ever did for us, if that was all God ever gave us, if we were like Job, we had everything taken away from us and say, in this life, we never got it restored. We lost absolutely everything. God would still be better, a more gracious, a more generous, uh, a more loving God than we could ever comprehend simply because he has decided through Jesus to spare believers from wrath. If that was all Jesus ever did, if that was all God ever gave us, he would still be abundantly better than we ever could deserve. That's an important thing for us to remember too. That's an important thing for me to remember. I am just as susceptible, if not more susceptible, maybe I'm more susceptible than most people, I don't know, to getting weighed down in the petty, comparing myself to other people, thinking about the temporal things, thinking about the things that I'm sure in two weeks I won't even be worried about, but seem like a big deal to me right now. And weighing myself down with those burdens and getting caught up in the weeds, um, I, I am guilty of that. And the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, the miracle of the resurrection, that God defeated death on our behalf and that this life is just a blip on the span of eternity, that puts things into perspective. And so that's, um, that's something that I have been thinking about this Easter season. And it's not just about a renewed perspective. It's not just about that. Of course, it's just about Jesus and worshiping Jesus and humbling yourself before Jesus. But it does gain you a different perspective. It does. It, it changes how you look at things. Uh, I talk about this stuff a lot. I talk about having an eternal perspective a lot. The fact of the matter is I, I don't. A lot of days I don't. I have to drag myself back into um, the reality of God's grace and the reality of God's sovereignty. There was a situation last week where I was just stressed out, where I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't have control over this. This is happening at the worst time. I don't know what to do. I'm so stressed out. I don't want to deal with this. This is unfair. I felt like I had been felt or dealt in unfair hands, like it shouldn't happen this way. And I had to remember for a second uh, who I was, who I was in Christ, God's absolute sovereignty. And then in a much smaller sense, 
uh, not in an eternal sense, but even just in the sense of this life, um, I have to remember that I can look back and realize that God has always taken care of me. That's not to say I've always gotten what I thought I wanted. That's not to say everything has worked out like I wanted and that he has just, you know, blessed me in the way that I wanted to be blessed. But um, he has always taken care of me. Things have always come together for the good. And that's what he promises, that things will ultimately come together for the good of those who love him. And God has always delivered. He has always been there. I can't look at any moment in my life and think of a time when God hasn't been faithful in his provision, when he hasn't been faithful to give of himself to me. And so that's a really important reminder. Um, so as I suspected, we are out of time for answering all of your really good questions, but that's okay because it'll give me more time to actually think about your questions and I'll answer them. I'm not going to leave you guys hanging. Don't worry about that. Um, but I do want to say, cause I have like one and a half minutes left. Uh, I do want to tell you the thing that I don't get. This is, this is a pet peeve. I was talking about this to my dad the other day. Um, and I want to, I, I want to talk about it because I think it's something that we young people are especially guilty of, but actually I can think of people, a person right now who is much older or a couple people who are much older than me, who I know have this issue. Um, and I, I think we've all struggled with it. It's a struggle, I think with pride really and insecurity at the same time. And I always think that pride and insecurity personally, I always think that they go hand in hand, but I especially want to direct this to my fellow millennials who probably have a big problem with this. It's apologizing. I, one of my peeps is when people know that they did something wrong, they know that they, I don't know, went back on their word. They did something that they weren't supposed to. They dropped the ball, whatever it is. And they didn't apologize. Like I'm talking from even like a waitress to your friend, whatever it is. It really bothers me when people won't just own up and say, hey, I'm going to take responsibility for this or I'm going to take ownership for this. I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm going to make it right. That's something that I had to learn in my first job. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard because it's humiliating. I mean, you remember when you were five and your parents made you say sorry to your brother and you didn't want to because it's embarrassing. You didn't really think that you were wrong. And so you're like, I'm sorry. Well, I just want to remind people like we're supposed to grow out of that. We're supposed to grow out of that eventually. We are supposed to be able to be confident enough in ourselves, confident enough um, in Christ, if you're a Christian, to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. I wish I would have done that differently or I'm going to make this better or whatever it is. But I've noticed a lot of people and it, what made me start thinking about it actually was President Trump and Ilhan Omar and AOC, how those three people never apologize. Actually, I would say a lot of politicians never do, but those are the people that I noticed never apologize. It doesn't matter if they got something wrong. It doesn't matter if they got a fact wrong. It doesn't matter if they were blatantly immoral in what they did. They are not going to apologize. And I noticed that a lot. It's because they want to avoid embarrassment and they're afraid. And maybe this is true in the political world. They're afraid if they say that they did something wrong, that people are going to capitalize that and double down on it. I also think that people think that if they don't apologize and the other person won't notice that they did something wrong, and that's not true. 
The other person is waiting. <laughs> the other person is like, when are you going to own up for this? And then it just sucks because it's like this whole back and forth of passive aggressiveness. But I remember in my first job having to, having to learn this, having to learn when I failed a client, when I failed a boss, not wanting to apologize at all because I could think of a million different reasons why it's not really my fault. But having to say at the end of the day, yeah, I'm sorry. That goes a long way, I think. I am like always up and ready to forgive people. And of course, as a Christian, you are called to forgive people whether or not they apologize. But like, I am totally up and ready to like forgive people. But I am really annoyed when people won't apologize. And so that is my encouragement. That's my encouragement to you is to learn the art of apologizing. I know it's very trendy right now for people to, to not apologize. Uh, we hear that a lot in the self-help world and I won't say exactly where, but I think that it is a lost art to be able to humbly apologize, to be able to take ownership for your actions. Now that's not saying you're constantly self-deprecating and that you constantly are apologizing for things that aren't your fault. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that are your fault, the things that you did wrong, you dropped the ball, you lied, you, whatever. You just apologize. And then hopefully, then it's up to that person to extend you grace. If they don't, that's on them. But at least you've taken responsibility. So I just wanted to say that. That was something I was thinking about. I was actually going to write something about it because of President Trump and Ilhan Omar and all of that stuff. It's just not a good look. It's not a sign of character. Be confident enough in who you are. Be confident enough in who you are to uh, to own up to your mistakes. And I'm, I, I, of course, always preaching to the choir and anything that I say, I want to be able to do that too, because I'm certainly not perfect at it. But something I was thinking about, okay, that was the thing that I don't get and hope that you enjoyed the podcast and I will see you here on Wednesday. I think that we are going to talk about Democrats giving to charity and how they really don't do it. I actually have an op-ed on foxnews.com about that very subject. So you should go check that out. I'm sure I shared it on, uh, I'm sure I'll share it on social media, uh, but I'll see you guys then. Bye.